Hello, welcome back to another episode of Pastor Vic's Nuggets of Truth. Uh, and today uh, I want to talk about uh, the relationship between grace, works, and faith. There's always been a controversy between the terms, or between the terms that the Bible uses for grace and works. Some have misused the terms to excuse sin. Others have misused the term to try and earn or deserve God's blessings and favor. Both these terms, grace, works, and I should in include the word faith, are important aspects of the life of a New Testament believer of Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's important to know how they operate so that we can experience the fullness of the Lord in our lives. The biblical definition of grace is something that, that's freely given as a gift. See, it's not based upon the value or the efforts of the person receiving the gift. Grace, in this case, is an unconditional gift motivated by the gift giver, in this case God, decision to love. God has decided to provide blessings to those who know Him. Notice the word He's decided. That's a decision. This is what I call agape love. You see, agape love is not based upon an emotion or feeling, but it is a decision. And when God makes a decision, he does not change or go back on that decision. And we can, we can be assured of that because of the following verses. First in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? See, God fulfills his promises. The Apostle Paul assures Titus, a young pastor, in the following verse in Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. He cannot lie. And then again in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 18, that by two immutable, unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, that we might have this strong assurance or consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. If God has said it in his word, then you can count on it to come to pass. When we fully understand God's gift of grace, then we can walk by faith in the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and the acceptance of God. Ephesians is simply one place out of many where we're told that we are loved, forgiven, and accepted. The love of God we see in Ephesians 2.4. But God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. The forgiveness of God in Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. He gives it to us, that forgiveness. And then the acceptance of God, Ephesians 1.6. The praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted into the beloved, into Jesus. You see, it is by these three things, love, forgiveness, and acceptance, that gives us the assurance, the confidence, that God is for us and not against us. That's Romans 8.31. And that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That's Hebrews 13.5. I think that so many Christians struggle with love, forgiveness, and acceptance of the Lord for basically two, one of two reasons, or maybe both reasons. But the first reason is that believers sometimes struggle with these things, love, forgiveness, and acceptance, 
because uh, they allow the devil to keep heaping condemnation and guilt and shame because of past events or past thoughts. We must remind ourselves of what the scripture says about the devil. The devil is a liar and the father of all lies. From the very beginning, he deceived Adam and Eve, continues to slander Christians to this very day. Every time you believe what the devil says about you, you are denying what God says about you. And he says that you are loved, you are forgiven, and you are accepted. You know, sometimes we have to be careful who we associate with, our friends, because uh, sometimes the devil can use those people to speak negativity into our lives. I think the second reason that believers sometimes struggle with love, forgiveness, and acceptance of the Lord is that they feel unworthy of God's love. The truth is that we are all unworthy. That's why we need God's grace. The Bible is clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. No one deserves or can earn God's love, forgiveness, and acceptance. However, through Jesus Christ, we have been given grace, and all of these things are ours. Let me read to you John 3.16, but I'm going to go all the way to 18. Sometimes we miss 17 and 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See? Here's 18. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The grace of God is available through Jesus. Our Father in heaven decided to give salvation to anyone who would accept his only begotten Son, Jesus by faith. This gift of the Father is the greatest gift anyone could receive because it determines our eternal peace and our reward. Anyone who has salvation, or what we will use the term saved, is assured of the love, forgiveness, and acceptance of God. We want to talk a moment about the idea of works. Where does works fit in to our relationship with God? Now, in the Bible, the term works often means those things that are done to find favor with God. And they often stem from the idea that they they want to appease or placate God. And the word works can mean one of several things. First of all, you have the works of the law. The works of the law, also called the Law of Moses, described in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, refers to the many rules and regulations found in the Old Testament that were handed down to Moses by God on Mount Sinai. Some count 613 commands, and that, that would include the Ten Commandments. These law were what the Jews agreed to follow in exchange for blessing and protection in the Old Covenant, or what we call the Covenant of the Law. When a Jew was circumcised, it was a sign that they were under the Covenant of God, and therefore they had to obey these laws. If they broke a law, they would have to repent and make some kind of sacrifice, and a sacrifice was was defined in the law. The purpose of the law was to show the Jewish people 
how they should live in their relationship with God, how they should live with their fellow Jews, and even how they should live with the, the non-Jews in, in the area they lived. The Old Testament portion of the Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, is all about this covenant relationship between God and the Jewish people. One last point about the Law of Moses. As born-again believers, believers of Jesus Christ, we are not under the Law of Moses. Our covenant is the New Covenant, which is a covenant of grace purchased by Jesus Christ. Our salvation and security come from following Jesus, not the law of Moses. Matter of fact, Jesus fulfilled the law when Jesus, remember when he said, it is finished upon the cross of Calvary. He closed out the Old Testament law and introduced a new covenant under which we live today. Much of the Apostle Paul's epistle, epistles address this conflict between the law of Moses and the new covenant of Jews. The writer of the book of Hebrews makes it very clear that the old covenant has been replaced by the better or superior covenant, the new covenant of Jesus Christ. I'd encourage you to read Galatians 3, 19 through 25. But here's an excerpt. This is verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor, our teacher, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, that we might learn to walk by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We're no longer under the Mosaic law, the law of Moses. But you know, there's another kind of works, and that's the work, what I call the works of religion. Even though we're not under the old covenant of law, most Christian churches, denominations, have developed practices intended to help believers draw closer to God. And that's a good thing. However, when it becomes a ritual and that replaces relationship, then it becomes what God calls a dead work. Throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, God has desired a heart turned to Him, a heart of gratitude for what He has done. In our case, sending Jesus to die for our sins, restoring our relationship with Him, and accepting us into the family of God. Our obedience is the evidence that we are submitted to our Lord. In the Old Testament, we see in 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning in verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed the fat of rams. So what, what the scripture is saying is that God is looking for obedience. In the New Testament, John 8, beginning in verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. And then in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what loving God means, to keep his commandments. The commandments that we've learned through the New Testament. Now, the Lord delights in works of faith. And that's the other type of works that's important. The word faith is used over 260 times in the New Testament. And here are a few verses to consider. These are foundational faith verses. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
The things that are hoped for are the things that we receive from the Word of God. The evidence of things not seen means that there's supernatural power in the, in, 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 in the work of the Holy Spirit. Then there's Hebrews 11.6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And then finally, a short verse, 2 Corinthians 5.7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Throughout Bible history, God's question to us has always been the same. Will you trust me? Faith is believing what the Lord says and then doing it. The doing part is the evidence that you have faith. You see, faith is not just the words you speak or the thoughts that you have about the Lord, but faith must be coupled or joined with doing, and that's what we call a good work. Will you follow him by trusting and obeying. One of the key messages in the book of James is this relationship between faith and works. In particular, I encourage you to read James uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. But let me just draw out a couple of points here. In James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, uh, James writes, What does it profit my brethren, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works to go with it? Can faith save him? If a brother, and he gives an example, if a brother or sister is naked and, and destitute of daily food, starving, and, 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 and one says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith, by example, is dead if it does not have works. You see, in this example, James points out that saying you have faith alone is simply mental assent, intellectual agreement. That is, you agree that something is true, but you don't act on it. That's the difference. The evidence of faith is the action you take. And this is the point in James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Our faith in Jesus and what he has called us to do is our testimony that Jesus is alive and available to others, which is our mission or our assignment on this earth. The Apostle James's conclusion is James 2 verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. All this discussion brings us to the critical question of how does one become saved? Is salvation by grace, by faith, or works? And I think the answer can best be found in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8. And, 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 and Ephesians, the writer of Ephesians says, For by grace, grace, grace you've been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not what you've done, it's what he's done. It is the gift of God, not of works. There's nothing you can do to earn it lest anyone should boast. For Now here we go. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, verses 8 and 9 make it clear that salvation is a gift of grace. It's not earned nor deserved. However, it is by faith that we receive this precious gift of salvation. We believe it to be true. Jesus has done all the work to secure your salvation. That's grace. 
You must believe that Jesus died for you uh, so that you would be loved, forgiven, and accepted. See, that's what faith is. You don't need to feel like you're forgiven or feel like you're accepted or feel like you're loved. You just have to accept the truth that this is what God has done for you. He loves you. He's forgiven you. He's accepted you. And we receive it by faith. Verse 10 shows us the place of works. We were created in Jesus for good works. Which means that when we were born again, we're to be led by the Word of God and the Spirit of God to demonstrate the goodness of God to a lost and dying world. In conclusion, I hope we have a better understanding of the terms grace and works and the part that faith plays in the life of a Christian. You see, grace is not a license to sin. And the dead works of the Mosaic law or ritualistic activities is not what the Lord is looking for in his followers today. What the Lord is looking for is a relationship. Grace is the Lord's gift. Good works are our efforts to follow by faith the instructions of the Bible and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Our faith in Jesus should inspire us to good works in gratitude and honor for all that he's done for us. Let me challenge you with the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. And Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. Being a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian means that you can walk in assurance, in confidence, that you are loved by God, that you are accepted by God, and that you have been forgiven of everything you may, may have done in the past and in the present in the future. Forgiveness is found in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this word. I ask you to bless the listeners, the, the, the ones that are um, receiving this, and Lord, that they would take it to heart, not misunderstand it, but realize how much you love them, how much they are forgiven, and how much you accept them right where they're at. But you're not happy to leave them right where they're at. You desire to bring them to better places and a better outcome for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you the next time. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture quotations are from the New King James Version of the Bible. Copyright 1982 by Thomas Nelson. Used by permission, all rights reserved.